You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. My wannabe mini-me. Raquel first appeared in my life as a trainee. I had her for new employee orientation and a few required trainings. Raquel made it known how much she enjoyed my facilitation style and that she hoped she could do it one day as well. Now that she had been brought to my attention, I watched and observed her in a different way. In some ways, I began to mentor her, mentor her before being asked. Primarily, I was looking for the essentials, whether she exhibited traits to become a facilitator and trainer. She was a natural, so I wanted to reach out and help in any way I could. Becoming a trainer was not a position that was handed to me. I had to work my butt off. I had to prove myself. I had to go back to school and get a master's degree so I could have a piece of paper that would tell the world, yes, I know what I'm doing. I would have given anything for someone to take an interest in me and mentor me. So I decided if that was what Raquel wanted, I would do anything within my control to help. Eventually, the relationship was formalized and Raquel began reporting to me. I wanted so badly to not screw it up. I introduced her to my fellow colleagues and asked for their input. They all seemed to see what I saw, loads of potential and much success in her and her future. Potential wasn't the only thing that kept me tied to Raquel. As I began to learn about her, I realized she reminded me of myself, which made my connection to her stronger. It's safe to say I put my career on hold for about eight months as I dedicated my time and effort to make her successful. That included everything from work-life balance to rate of pay. Money is a topic I rarely like to approach, In fact, in my early employment days, when the first payday rolled around, I checked my bank account, but no money had been deposited. I actually almost convinced myself not to approach my employer, thinking I had the date screwed up and the money would show up eventually. Yes, I hated talking about money so much that I would actually consider working without pay rather than talking about it and getting it resolved. But for Raquel, I talked about money in great lengths. How could I give her more? If she needed money to feel secure, I felt compelled to get that resolved so this obstacle could be removed and not hold her back from her own success. As time progressed, I kept throwing opportunities Raquel's way, even when she was falling flat. I couldn't understand the disconnect by the bright star I saw in front of me, yet who couldn't deliver in front of others. We had several heart-to-hearts where I was honest yet affirming that this was hers for the taking. Eventually, I could no longer justify her compensation. Raquel was not performing, and there was no indication that it was going to change. Instead of her showing signs of understanding, she insisted on more money, saying that she was worth more. When I was honest with myself and her, and told her that I couldn't justify a recommendation to leadership for a salary increase, 
she started looking for employment elsewhere. Soon she found employment full-time at a place that wasn't her dream, but the compensation was what she needed. She offered to stay with us on a part-time basis, stating that this was her dream, and she hoped that one day she could do it full-time. I was in shock to hear that she had taken full-time employment elsewhere without discussing it with me first. As expected, we scheduled a time to meet and talk about the transition of some of her full-time duties to discuss what part-time would look like, including any necessary changes to her compensation. It was during this conversation that something within me stirred. A, a part of me couldn't fathom how someone who was presented the opportunity to pursue their dream could so easily walk away. How someone I had put so much faith and trust in could just give up. Perhaps it was the reality check of where I stood in her world of priorities and how harshly that contrasted with where she stood in mine. In the middle of a perfectly logical professional conversation, the cry of the banshee was unleashed in response to the upcoming great loss that was about to occur. The loss of a great talent, fellow dreamer, and friend. As I engaged in this ugly cry, I shared with Raquel everything that I had seen in her and that I only wanted her to be happy. If this decision was what was required, then I supported it wholeheartedly. But I wanted to make sure she knew what I saw within her. I wanted to make sure this decision would not be regretted in the future. And I hoped she could feel how much I cared for her and valued our relationship. Raquel cried too as we exchanged words, so I took that as a sign that we were on the same vibration, or at least the same page, that the words I said were delivered just as they should. Raquel transitioned to part-time, and I went from seeing her every day to once a week, to basically not at all. After 30 days, I received an email from her asking yet again for an increase in compensation. She stated that she was worth more and her pay was making the part-time work not worth her time. In that month, Raquel's performance hadn't changed at all, so therefore I couldn't justify a recommendation for an increase. After she learned that an increase was not in the cards, she submitted her letter of resignation with less than one week's notice. In addition, she stated I had, made, I had created a work environment which made it impossible for her to stay. This final statement convinced HR that it was best for me not to handle her resignation and instead limit speaking to her altogether. I saw Raquel once more. On her last day when she gave me an update on a transitioning project, I kept my mouth shut knowing my words before must have been damaging rather than full of love as I had intended. After nearly a year of me giving and her taking, I was left with nothing but cleaning up and starting over. It was extreme, but necessary. It was amazing to learn in retrospect how many people around me noticed Raquel draining me, but said nothing. When I inquired why, they all replied that I wouldn't have listened. We all welcome loud distractions, but this one left me completely blind. Looking back, the one message that rings clear is that I had written myself off. When I took Raquel under my wing, I told the universe to forget about me. There's no hope for me. It's too late. Invest in someone else, I essentially said. I didn't matter. My selfish need to know that I was worthy of happiness, success, and hope. My selfish need to know that I mattered. My selfish need to know that I am enough, just as I am, was ignored completely. 
I was so caught up in the attempt to meet Raquel's needs that I completely ignored my own. This resulted in a lot of backward steps for me, both personally and professionally. It was reckless and left me in a place where I had to actively seek out help to restore what was once me. The relationship with Raquel had been extremely one-sided, making it impossible to sustain me. Relationships and support are essential to well-being. It is human nature to desire connection. However, we must make sure these relationships are healthy. Otherwise, they could do more damage than good. There is one major attribute that is present in every healthy relationship. It is that the two parties are able to meet in the middle. Call it compromise, empathy, or just being fair. I call it the next shift worthy to be shared. Exposed in this chapter. Number one, we can develop an instant blind eye to the individuality and uniqueness in the world. Number two, if you are not having success in one area of your life, it is because you are neglecting yourself. Number three, meeting in the middle is the only way to have a truly healthy relationship. Number four, ignoring your own needs is the equivalent of taking steps backwards personally and professionally. And number five, unhealthy relationships have the power to do more damage than good. Chapter five, meet me in the middle. If there is one thing I have learned about relationships, it is that it truly takes two people to tango. A successful relationship, romantic or otherwise, cannot be sustained, sustained unless both parties are willing to come to the table. Showing up is not enough. They have to see the bigger picture of the relationship and know exactly why that connection is so valuable. The significance of the relationship is key because they must become willing to be open, open to realize that they are not innocent and also that they are not the victim. We all have something we can own, whether it is because we made the initial action that caused conflict or because we were the one who stubbornly prevented the healing process from initiating. The biggest transformation I have seen in myself as I have grown is in understanding relationships for what they really are. Before, relationships were more of a social objective or cultural goal. To have so many friends or be romantically involved. However, the real significance is to provide support and balance when we need it. These are essential in empowering us to reach our end goals and ultimate purpose. When we decide to neglect a relationship and not meet someone in the middle, we essentially stall our path. We create obstacles and make things harder for ourselves. We pretty much create the fate we were so fearfully trying to avoid. But before we can reap the benefits that these smarter relationships can provide us, we must remember that both individuals need to meet in the middle. While we must neither under or overextend ourselves, we must also make sure the other individual is responsible for their half of the contribution. And finally, but most importantly, we must know what it means for us when someone consciously decides not to meet us in the middle. The Hard Lesson of Marriage 
After a dozen years together and five years of marriage, if there is one thing my husband and I have learned, it's that compromise is essential. When you make the decision to be with another person, if you are unable to move your ego aside occasionally, you will be unable to develop a relationship that provides mutual fulfillment. In that instance, someone would always get the short end of the stick. And if you are the one refusing to let go of your ego, guess what? The person you claim to love more than anything else in the world will be getting the short end of the stick because of you. It took me and my husband a decade to understand the, rela- the significance that compromise plays in a relationship. And the only reason we learned that lesson is because we were both ready to come to a place somewhere in the middle. In September of 2015, my marriage had become distant. I was engaging in a constant blame game towards my husband for my unhappiness. Then on Labor Day, it it imploded. After we arrived home from a family picnic, he approached me in our home office and told me we needed to talk. In a matter of minutes, whatever safety and security I had from our relationship disappeared. The only thing I felt certain about in my life was no more. Even though he hadn't said it was over, he made it pretty clear that he wasn't sure anything could change. I was completely unable to process what I was hearing, so I did the only thing I could do at the time. I ran away. I needed to get out and away where hopefully I could breathe again. For the first time since moving to Pennsylvania, I called a friend out of pure necessity. My world was crashing and I was falling fast. I needed someone to reach out and grab me. My friend Mary Rose answered the phone and heard only my uncontrollable sobs and the words, Can I come over? When I arrived there, I fell to pieces on the couch in front of her and her husband, recapping the entire conversation and trying to make sense of how something could change so quickly. I heard my phone occasionally buzz with text messages and phone calls. All were from my husband, Josh, trying to check in and see if I was okay. He had no idea where I had gone, but he'd seen the state I was in when I left. Definitely not a state that anyone should be driving in. After what seemed like a marathon of sobbing and talking in circles, I could finally breathe again. I had exhausted my emotions and the fog became and the fog began to lift enough for me to ask, "What's next?" I asked Mary Rose and her husband Chad, "What do I do? Do I go home? Do I get the kids? Do I go to my parents?" Chad, who had been listening inten- listening intently as I poured my soul out, was the first to answer. "Whoa, whoa." he cautioned. Who said anything about your marriage being over? I know Josh loves you, so before you start planning what's next, you're going to call him and tell him that you're okay. Because he is probably worried sick about you. Then you're going to go home, and the two of you are going to continue talking. This isn't over until you both decide that it is. I couldn't argue with his logic. I did exactly that, and called my husband affirming to him that I was okay. And then I went home to start a conversation that inched us closer to the middle.